It's Thursday, January the 20th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Joe Biden predicts Ukraine invasion, and Boris Johnson feels the pressure. First, the world in brief. In a wide-ranging press conference marking one year in office, President Joe Biden predicted that Vladimir Putin will invade Ukraine and pay a, quote, dear price for it. Mr Biden also said he would support breaking up his stalled climate change and social spending bill in order to pass parts of it. The Federal Reserve, he added, was right to tighten monetary policy to contain inflation. Mr Biden and his Democratic Party failed in their attempts to pass a voting rights bill and reform Senate rules. Their proposed legislation to expand early and mail-in voting was blocked by Republicans using the filibuster. A follow-up proposal on changing the filibuster rule itself, which in effect means a 60% majority in the Senate is needed to pass many bills, was also rejected when two Democrats voted against it. Boris Johnson, Britain's Prime Minister, faced more pressure to resign over allegations that Downing Street parties breached lockdown rules. During a raucous parliamentary session, one former Tory minister, David Davis, told Mr Johnson, quote, In the name of God, go. Another Tory MP defected to the Labour Party. At least 20 MPs are reportedly ready to demand a Conservative leadership election. More may follow. The threshold to trigger a vote of confidence in the PM is 54 MPs. Some 1.3 million people died in 2019 from diseases caused by bacteria that have become resistant to antibiotics, according to a study published in the Lancet Medical Journal. That is nearly as many deaths as from malaria and HIV combined. Greater antimicrobial resistance has been driven by the oversubscription of antibiotics for non-serious diseases. The Lancet called it an, quote, overlooked pandemic. China's central bank again eased monetary policy, cutting its benchmark interest rates as fear of an economic slowdown intensified. The People's Bank of China lowered its one-year loan prime rate from 3.8% to 3.7%, Last month, it cut the rate for the first time in nearly two years. It also dropped the five-year rate, considered the benchmark for mortgages, which it hopes may boost flagging housing demand. This followed cuts to its policy rates on Monday. Peru's government said an overspill off the coast of Lima has resulted in an, quote, ecological disaster after the eruption of an underwater volcano near Tonga sent waves across the Pacific Ocean. Peru's foreign ministry said the spill, which occurred as a tanker was unloading at a refinery, affected 18,000 square kilometres. Officials called on Repsol, the Spanish firm that owns the refinery, to pay for the damage. Morgan Stanley, an investment bank, beat expectations to post record revenues and profits for 2021. Net income rose 37% from the previous year to $15 billion off the back of a strong last quarter. Its wealth management unit performed particularly well, growing customers' assets by about $1 trillion to $4.9 trillion. 
and figure of the day. 1. The number of deaths from COVID-19 recorded in China in the past 12 months. And now, here's today's agenda. India seems to be fending off Omicron, for now. When the Delta variant of COVID-19 hit India, it left a scar. So Indians feared the worst as Omicron emerged. Recent data suggests they can start breathing more easily. In India's biggest cities, including Delhi and Mumbai, cases have declined sharply this week. More important, hospitalizations and deaths did not increase dramatically. Much of this reflects Omicron's milder symptoms. That India's vaccine programme has been stepped up, with nearly 50% of people now double-jabbed, also helps. And officials have responded better this time. Delhi, which suffered badly in the last wave, set up more Covid beds as soon as cases began to rise while the Election Commission banned rallies, which had contributed to earlier spikes. Yet experts urge continued vigilance. They expect case numbers to reach new highs as the variant spreads to smaller cities. And some believe that the lower numbers recorded recently may have a simpler explanation. Inadequate testing. Inflation looms over the Eurozone. Thursday's official Euro area inflation figures are likely to confirm what economists and everyone else already knew. Inflation in the currency zone is rampant. The block-wide rate for December will probably be 5%, three percentage points above the European Central Bank's target. Some economists believe it will remain high throughout the first half of this year, though easing to 4.1% in the first quarter and 3.7% in the second. The ECB is under pressure to tighten monetary policy once the Omicron variant of COVID-19 abates. It has already said it will end net purchases of bonds under its 1.85 trillion euro, 2.1 trillion dollar pandemic response scheme in March as it begins to scale back quantitative easing. ECB officials insist that it is unlikely to increase interest rates this year. But some pundits are suspicious, predicting a rise might come as early as September. Either way, the bank forecasts that inflation won't fall back to its target until next year. Erdoganomics pushes up Turkey's interest rate. A guest on a Turkish news show recently balked at a chart showing inflation rates in a number of Western countries, asking, quote, Why did you add them up at the bottom? The figure he was referring to, 36.1%, was not the sum of Western inflation rates, however. It was Turkey's own. Pandemic stimulus and supply chain disruptions have caused prices to surge worldwide. But in Turkey, The kooky economic theories of the country's president are mostly to blame. Starting in September, Recep Tayyip Erdogan has ordered his central bank to slash interest rates from 19% to 14%, believing this would tame inflation. The outcome is the highest inflation rate 
since 2002. The bank's Monetary Policy Committee, which convenes on Thursday, should have called time on Mr Erdogan's mad experiment months ago. Analysts doubt it will, expecting the committee to keep lending rates unchanged. Inflation may soon top 50%. Netflix drops a new title. Wall Street analysts will be glued to their screens on Thursday for Netflix's new release, its latest quarterly earnings. The world's biggest streamer was one of the winners of the pandemic, but after hitting an all-time high in November, its share price has fallen by a quarter. Investors fret that despite record spending on blockbusters like Don't Look Up, subscriber growth is slowing amid stiffer competition and a saturated home market. Netflix hopes to grow in two areas. It is raising prices in established markets. On Monday, the monthly charge for its standard plan in America went up by $1.50 to $15.49, 41% more than at the beginning of 2019. And it is seeking new subscribers abroad. Its most popular show last week was a Colombian soap opera, Café Con Aroma de Mujer. Executives hope that new markets, from the Americas to Asia, will provide enough growth to stop investors losing interest and switching over. Smile, a memoir of Bell's Palsy. In 2010, Sarah Bull's play, In the Next Room or The Vibrator Play, was nominated for a Tony Award, Broadway's most prestigious prize. At her agent's behest, she attended a photo shoot. Quote, smile, they yelled, beseeching her to grin again and again. Quote, what's wrong with you? Can't you smile for your Tony? They asked. Quote, actually, I can't, Miss Rule replied. Quote, my face is paralysed. The American playwright recounts the incident in her new memoir, Smile. After giving birth to twins, she was diagnosed with Bell's palsy, a condition that causes sudden weakness in facial muscles on one side. Quote, puppet face strings cut, as Miss Rule would have it. Her account of her illness incorporates reflections on motherhood, the history of art and medicine. It is particularly poignant when considering the social role of smiling and its importance in communicating. Her children, however, understood her, quote, half smile was always intended for them, as quite simply a smile. Winter Quiz, Week 6. The battle with our baristas grinds on. As in previous weeks, we'll serve you a new question each day. On Thursday, your challenge will be to give all four answers and tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 GMT on Thursday to editor-espresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Friday. Thursday. Which actress known as the Brazilian bombshell was famous for her fruit-themed headwear? Finally, here's the quote of the day from John Ruskin, who died on this day in 1900. When we build... 
let us think that we build forever. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.